This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. Voluntary principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. Liberty Classroom is the premier online university for libertarian and free market thought. Take courses from your computer or while driving in your car. To sign up for Liberty Classroom, please use our special link at libertyclassroom.info. That's libertyclassroom.info. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's, what is today? January 14th, 2021. (laughs) I'm starting to think that uh, 2020... uh, is a walk in the park compared to what we have in store for 2021. But, you know, I'm still optimistic, right? It's more of a a question of interest, interesting things happening, maybe, right? I mean, I go back to the idea that what happens beyond our sphere of control is really just living history, right? We have no control over it. Unless we do something big and drastic, you know, like go and try to murder somebody. And then all of a sudden, you know, we <laughs> put ourselves in the spotlight. But obviously, I'm not going to do that. Um, so what, what we see out there happening in our, in our towns, in our states, in our countries is living history. They are things that are so far outside of our control that there's really not anything we can do to change it just like the past. We can't change the past. It's happened. It's history. Well, what we saw happening in 2020 outside of, again, outside of our own personal lives happened. It was history while it was happening. And now it's certainly history because 2020 is over. So I guess my point is we can look at it and we can allow it to hurt us or harm us in some way, or we can look at it as uh, I don't know, a, a type of entertainment, I guess. We can look at it as, in many ways, a, a circus, see what's happening. Um, we don't have to take sides. We don't have to participate in it. We don't have to signal our virtue in agreeing with it or disagreeing with whatever happens. Right? We don't have to do any of that stuff. We can just sit back and observe and maybe pull out whatever wisdom we can that will be helpful to us. I think it seems to me that way too many people get, allow themselves to get personally invested in stuff that that happens so far out of their sphere of control, right? Rather than just looking a bit closer and dealing with um, whatever problems they've got in their own lives and fixing those and getting themselves to a, a better place, mentally and physically and whatnot. They're much more interested in concerning themselves with things that have, with the living history that's happening that they have, that they can't do anything about. And my worry there, the problem with that is 
they're allowing that to, to get them worked up and they get worked up and they get angry and many people end up doing something stupid, right? The consequences happen and they think they've made some, um, they've made some, uh, major impact on the world around them. And they probably haven't. They've probably just got themselves into some kind of legal trouble for what amounts to really no gain. And I think there's a lot of folks, a lot of upset folks right now that are getting involved in a lot of dangerous things. And, you know, they they believe that they're what they're doing is fighting for something important. And people people did this over the summer as well. And there's people doing it now. It's the same playbook, right? It's get riled up. It's get angry. It's get out. It's yell. It's protest. It's stomp around. It's even participating in violence against property. And in some cases, violence against people. And it just, it just doesn't seem like it has any more effect than just further creating animosity and hate and division between people. I think that's true for what we saw over the summer, and I think that's true for what's happening right now. So what's the point? Are these people's lives perfect? Are these people's lives, do they have, it, do they have everything they need? And are they satisfied in every area that now that they can, now they can look beyond that and go and, you know, this is America. This is the first world of the first world. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, we're, we're not, most people are not, of, of course, this is as true for 2020 as it has been for the last 50 years, but most people are not struggling to survive as much as, you know, people outside of America are right? It's like you want to see people with real problems, <laughs> you know, look south, look further south, look across the ocean, all right? So, I don't know. This was kind of a meandered, meandered thought, but let's, uh, let's find some world news stories to run down and see what we got. All right, this is from AP News, the Associated Press. It says, leading human rights group calls Israel an apartheid state. A leading Israel human rights group has begun describing both Israel and its control of the Palestinian territories as a single apartheid regime, using an explosive term that the country's leaders and their supporters vehemently reject. In a report released Tuesday, B. Salem says that while Palestinians live under different forms of Israeli control in the occupied West Bank, blockaded Gaza, annexed East Jerusalem, and within Israel itself, they have fewer rights than Jews in the entire area between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. One of the key points in our analysis is this is a single geopolitical area ruled by one government, said Director Haggai Elad. This is not democracy plus occupation. This is apartheid between the river and the sea. That a respected Israeli organization is adopting a term long seen as taboo even by many critics of Israel points to a broader shift in the debate as its half-century occupation of War I lands drags on and hopes for a two-state solution fade. Israel has long presented itself as a thriving democracy in which Palestinian citizens, who make up about 20% of its population of 9.2 million, have equal rights. Israel seized East Jer Jerusalem, the West Bank, and the Gaza Strip in the 1967 war, lands that are home to nearly 5 million Palestinians in which the Palestinians want for, fu for a future state. Uh, B. B. Salem argues that by dividing up the territories and using different means of control, Israel masks the underlying reality that roughly 7 million Jews and 7 million Palestinians live under a single system with vastly unequal rights. Hmm. 
So I'm, you know, I'm not an expert on apartheid, so I'm going to, I'm going to quickly look that up. I mean, I kind of have an idea of what it is and, and I'm of course, mostly associated with South Africa. An official policy of racial segregation formerly practiced in the Republic of South Africa involving political, legal, and economic discrimination against non-whites. A policy or practice of separating or segregating groups. The condition of being separated from other segregation. Apartheid was a system of institutionalized racial segregation that existed in South Africa and Southwest Africa from 48 until the 90s. Apartheid was characterized by an authoritarian political culture based on Boskop, which ensured that South Africa was dominated politically, socially, and economically by the nation's minority white population. Well, I mean, it sounds like uh, apartheid is what the U.S. had, right? I mean, slavery was a type of apartheid, wasn't it? Because blacks were slaves. They weren't allowed any of the same uh, political, social, or economic rights that whites had. And then even after slavery was abolished, with Jim Crow laws and all the segregation and the, you know, white water fountains, black water fountains, and so on and so forth. Some of the stuff that, that Jim talked about that his, his parents um, lived through. And he saw a bit in his life there in uh, Kentucky. That sounds like apartheid as well. So, I mean, I guess maybe this, this name apartheid didn't, you know, wasn't coined until South Africa in the mid-20th century. But it sounds to me like apartheid is is everywhere and has been everywhere in, in different sizes and shapes. I think that's true. So is, is Israel an apartheid state? Do Israelis have greater protection of their social, political, and economic rights than do Palestinians? And it's always seemed to me that, that they have. It, it always has seemed to me that the Palestinians, and of course the terror campaigns and the the crime definitely goes both ways, but it seems to me that the Palestinians have always been the underdog. They've always been under the foot or under the boot of the more official and internationally recognized Israeli-based government. So, you know, it says here that this term apartheid used to be used only by the most extreme critics, and now it's coming into more mainstream use. So that's, you know, that says something, doesn't it? So maybe this, maybe this, uh, this word, this descriptor will be seen as apt, right? And will be used and maybe its use will push for reforms that will actually have a uh, positive effect on everybody in, in this place, in, in Israel. I guess, I guess one can hope. We'll see. All right, so here's here's another article. This one's from theregister.com. It says, Facebook appeals ruling that it stole technology. So Italian judge issues a new judgment. Pay 10 times the original fine. <laughs> okay, this this is all uh, centered on, on this um, totally mistaken, totally illegitimate, in my opinion, uh, concept of intellectual property says, an Italian judge has not only upheld a decision that Facebook stole a partner's technology, but issued a new fine of 10 times the original amount. The Milan Appeals Court decided for Italian company Business Competence, whose Faround app used data from users' Facebook profiles to build an interactive map that showed them shops and stores nearby, together with relevant discounts listed by category. Faround was released in October 2012, and within just two months, Facebook had launched its version, Nearby Places. 
Farround was furious, and after four years of fighting, the courts agreed that Facebook had stolen its concept and format, changing only its graphic layout. The U.S. Megacorp was ordered to pull its version and publish the ruling both on its websites and in two national newspapers. Facebook was fined the equivalent of $430,000 for its actions, which amounted to parasitic appropriation of investments by others, according to the court in 2019. Naturally, Facebook appealed. And this week, and this week, the appeals court not only upheld the decision, but boosted the award by more than 10 times from the uh, uh, 430000 to $4.7 million. This could prove important, especially given Facebook's and other large tech companies' propensity for using their platforms to identify what products and services are popular and then launching their own version to steal the market. Both Facebook and Amazon have been formally accused of this behavior in the U.S. courts and face government-led antitrust actions as a result. Okay, well, I mean, is, it, is this any different than visiting a competitor's restaurant, seeing that he's got some new sandwich, some new chicken sandwich, and then going back to your restaurant, seeing it's po- that it's popular, and then going back to your restaurant and launching your own chicken sandwich in, in hopes to compete with their chicken sandwich? Um. Is it really any different? No, I mean, this This is what markets do, right? When something is successful, you should be allowed to copy it, okay? And if everybody's copying the successful stuff, then overall profits tend towards lower and lower amounts. And at some point, you've got to innovate and come up with something new, right? And then we don't have these big, giant mega corporations whose entire profiles are based on this artificial construct of intellectual property, right? And the bigger the corporations are, the more power they have. Facebook is under fire and has been for a while about all of the damage it's doing to the, uh, you know, marketplace of ideas, right? It's it's moderating and banning people and kicking them out of the quote-unquote public square. Why is Facebook as big as it is? Why is Twitter as big as it is? Amazon, Disney, Marvel, Warner Brothers. Why do these companies get so big? And it's because they are able to make astronomical amounts of profit by monopolizing their ideas. That would not exist without patent and copyright. It simply wouldn't exist. Now, I'm willing, I'm willing to concede. Uh, I'm willing to concede that this, this isn't even a concession. This is, this is more of a, it'd be interesting to see how, how this works. When I had my friend Alex on and we were talking about copyright and patent, and he, and he believes there should be some form, some, some type of copyright protection, he's less interested in patents, which, you know, seems like the same thing to me. Both are just patterns of information that you're, you're using. But let's look at it like this. What if you can use somebody's idea and make your own implementation of it, but what you can't do is use their implementation of it. So take uh, the automobile, and this was a point that Alex made, right? The, the idea of the automobile, anybody should be allowed to make a car, but only Ford should be able to, to make Ford Mustangs the way that they do, that look like Ford Mustangs and are branded as Ford Mustangs. But anybody else can take the idea of an internal combustion engine that somebody invented at some point and make their own car. Okay, how do we, how do we take that idea that we can't make the exact product with the branding and the styling and everything that somebody else makes. How do we apply that to copyright? Because I think, I think to be consistent that we should. 
and that would be uh, take take uh, Tobey Maguire Spider Man. This was the first Spider Man trilogy, you know, that came out twenty years ago or whatever. That's a particular specific uh, realization or implementation of the idea of Spider Man. Right? It's got Tobey Maguire in the lead. It's his face. It's you know, it's got all the characters. They look a certain way. They're designed. Excuse me. They're designed a certain way. And they are put in specific stories beginning to end. Now, for me to take that DVD and simply copy it and transfer it to my friends, that would be a copyright violation. But to take the idea of Spider-Man and put him into my own stories, original stories with Spider-Man and some of the same villains, but it goes about in a a novel way, that's kind of like taking the idea of an internal combustion engine and making your own car. Right, you're not making a Ford Mustang. You're making uh, a Chevy Corvette. Right, they're both two seaters. They both have V8s. You know, internal combustion engines. They both have four wheels. They both have springs and shocks. They both have trunks. But they're obviously different cars. Okay, so maybe I take Spider-Man and I make my own novel, original stories, whether it's written or I make a cartoon or I make a movie of the idea of Spider-Man. I should be allowed to do that, right? That would be the equivalent, okay? I can take the idea and I can make my own original content out of that idea. And that's what Facebook has done here, right? It says, wow, this is an interesting feature. Show show nearby places, you know, the restaurants that are around you when you just hit the button, you can see what's around you. Google Maps does this. Let's put that in our product. That should be allowed, Okay, they're putting their own spin on it. They're putting their own twist. It is novel and, and OC or original content in some way. Maybe for such a small little feature like this, it's a, it's a very minor way. But they obviously want to want to take it and they want to put it as part of their app. And I think that's fine. I think that should be allowed, right? It's like who invented uh, internet chat, right? Uh, Facebook has like a little chat window in it. Did they rip somebody off for that? Right, Gmail, you can open up your Hangouts chat. Now you can chat through Gmail. Did they rip somebody off for that? Did they have to license that idea and pay somebody? Maybe. They, should they have had to? No, I don't think so. I think that the, the, the strict and stringent patent and copyright rules that we have are incredibly restrictive and for that do a lot of damage in our, in our economy. The equivalent would be taking a character like Robin Hood. Okay, the idea of Robin Hood is not owned by anybody anymore. It was hundreds of years old. So I can take Robin Hood and I can make my OC with that. I can make some original story with that and those characters. And then the the particular thing I make, maybe other people can't copy that. Okay, can't take that exact movie and make, you know, pirated copies of it. And maybe that should be the limits of what copyright protection is. Alex, if you're listening, let me know what you think of that. It's kind of the equivalent of anybody can make a car but only Ford can make a Ford Mustang and only Chevy can make a Chevy Corvette. So it's kind of, it's kind of the same idea. And, you know, I think the ideas of copyright and patent would be less offensive to me if that's what it was limited to. I would be okay with that. That seems like a, an okay trade-off. And then the pirating of the movies, that's just going to happen. You can't really enforce it. <laughs> Not without, you know, totally destroying people's privacy and, and the internet. All right, here's the next story. This is from The Guardian. Dutch officials seize ham sandwiches of drivers arriving from the United Kingdom. <laughs> ham sandwiches. Personal imports of meat and dairy products into the European Union banned 
since the Brexit transition ended. (laughs) Dutch TV news aired footage of customs officers confiscating ham sandwiches from drivers arriving by ferry from the UK under post-Brexit rules, banning personal imports of meat and dairy products into the EU. Officials wearing high-visibility jackets are shown explaining to startled car and lorry drivers at the Hook of Holland ferry terminal that since Brexit, you are no longer allowed to bring certain foods to Europe, like meat, fruit, vegetables, fish, and that kind of stuff. To a bemused driver with several sandwiches wrapped in tinfoil who asked if he could maybe surrender the meat and keep just the bread, one customs officer replied, No, everything will be confiscated. Welcome to the Brexit, sir. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh my God, the world's gone mad. The ban came into force on New Year's Day as the Brexit transition period came to an end, with the Department for Environment, Food, and Rural Affairs saying travelers should use, consume, or dispose of prohibited items at or before the border. (laughs) The European Commission says the ban is necessary because meat and dairy products can contain pathogens causing animal diseases such as foot and mouth or swine fever and continue to present a real threat to animal health throughout the Union. Dutch Customs also posted a photograph of foodstuffs ranging from breakfast cereals to oranges that officials had confiscated in the ferry terminal, adding, since since January 1st, you can't just bring more food from the UK. The seizure applies to all drivers arriving from the UK, not just British drivers, as stated in the earlier version. Okay, all right. You know, it's like one of these guys should have grabbed their crotch and said, what about this meat? Can I bring this meat across? (laughs) Products of an animal origin. Well, I mean, we're products of an animal origin, aren't we? God, this is so stupid. This is so incredibly stupid. This just seems, this just seems petty, right? This just seems like a petty poke that the European Union is doing against, um, against Britain because, because Britain left and they, they took their ball and went home. (laughs) Like, um, you know, I can, I can see trying to bring in trucks of, you know, cured meat or something you're going to bring in and try to sell. That's one thing. But the guy's got his sandwiches wrapped in tinfoil or box of cereal or some fruit. <laughs> He's going to consume it, right? He's not going to go to wherever the animals are and say, hey, I'm going to put the disease in this on you. This is just this is just so stupid. But you see it. I mean, you freaking here in the U.S., if you drive to California, you got to stop and tell them that you don't have any fruit in your car. You know, you're not allowed to bring fruit into California. I mean, this 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 stuff just happens everywhere. And it's totally insane, right? You think you live in a free country, but, you know, you go to California, you got you to gotta give up your fruit. Or you used to. I mean, I don't know if that's still going on, but, oh, my God, it's, this is just so absurd. I feel bad for these people having to give up their sandwiches. All right, let's let's find one more. That was kind of short. Okay, just just when we thought that the ham sandwich confiscation was the worst atrocity that governments could commit. <laughs> Here's an article from aljazeera.com. Pakistan court sentences 3 to death for blasphemy. Blasphemy. An anti-terrorism court in Pakistan has handed death sentences to 3 people for social media posts deemed insulting to Prophet Muhammad under the country's blasphemy laws. A fourth accused, a college teacher, was sentenced just to 10 years in jail for a blasphemous lecture he had delivered in the classroom, court officials told the news agency on Friday. 
Judge Jawad announced the decision in the capital Islamabad on the charges filed in 2017. The convicted people can appeal in two higher courts to overturn their conviction or ask for mercy from the president. Pakistan's blasphemy laws, a colonial legacy, legacy made more stringent by former military ruler Zial Haq in the 1980s, envisa, en, en, envisage, 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 what the fuck is that word? Uh, made death as the maximum punishment for insulting the prophet, who's dead and gone, by the way, a few centuries ago. Rights activists say laws have been used against the followers of other religions and minority Muslim faiths, such as Shia and Ahmadiyya in the Sunni-majority country. Since the 1980s, nearly 80 people have been killed by individuals or angry mobs even before their trials were concluded in courts. Between 2011 and 2015, the latest period for which consolidated data is available, there were more than 1,296 blasphemy cases filed in Pakistan. The laws are now treated as sacred, but experts say there is no clear definition of blasphemy in Islamic jurisprudence, nor is there agreement on the punishment for it. Pakistan has dozens of convicts on death row or serving life imprisonment for committing blasphemy. Holy shit. Um, you know, I'm so, I'm so happy that I was not born in Pakistan. I'm so happy I was not born in China. I'm happy I wasn't born in fucking Europe even. I mean, I mean, yeah, I know there are, I know that there are places that are higher on the freedom indexes, the economic freedom index, personal freedom indexes. There are places that are, or I should say lower, closer to number one on that list than America is. There absolutely is. I've never lived in any of those places. I've only lived here. But when I read shit like this, it makes me pretty goddamn happy that I was born here and then I wasn't born there. Because that is absolutely batshit crazy. This idea that some person, some idea is so sacred that you can't criticize it, that you can't talk, quote, bad about it without risking your life is absolutely insane. This is insane. How do we, how do we get in a nonviolent way? How do we get this, this absolutely insane practice that you find here in this, this part of the world? and other parts here on planet Earth, how do we get rid of that? Pro probably, probably, through, uh, probably through getting ideas into these places that question the idea that some ideas should be off limits. And how do we do that? There's that guy, um, I think I talked about him. Um, I talked about him recently. Was it on the podcast? Let me let me do a quick search. There's that guy that runs that organization that is translating classical liberal and libertarian works into Farsi and Arabic and these these languages. And then they're getting them into these places and people, mostly younger people, are reading them and then circulating them. Let me let me quickly find his website. Okay, I found it. It was it was a recent essay by John Stossel. He was talking about it, and I was reading it and editing it and putting it on the website. Okay, it's ideasbeyondborders.org. Um, I believe Melissa Chen is involved with this, and she was on Joe Rogan maybe a year ago talking about this because her name comes up in, in involved with this. She's not the founder, though. It's this, this other guy. Um, and it says they have – let's see um, – so there's been 15 complete books translated, 20,000 articles, 
five and a half million people connected, 120 translators, 25 million words. It says, we share, translate, and promote ideas that foster critical thinking, civil rights, science, pluralism, and more to ultimately bring to life a modern pluralistic Middle East led by the people of the region, making the inaccessible accessible. Okay, so this, this is just, this is just brilliant. This is what I like to see. So they're connecting with folks. They're getting things translated, articles, and those share around, you know, obviously they're quicker reads. And they're also translating books. I am curious what books, what full books they've translated. Let me see if I can find that. All right. Well, I can't find a list, but there's a couple books by Steven Pinker, such as Enlightenment Now. I think there's a couple by Sam Harris, including his book Lying, which is a short little volume. Um, okay, cool. All right. And then, of course, samples of our work. And then they've got, you know, like articles and stuff, too. So that's a little bit more. Uh, they've also got some videos like on critical thinking and whatnot. So this is pretty cool. This this is what this is how it's got to be done. Okay, it's not done by invading these countries and dropping bombs on them. That's not how you bring freedom and enlightenment and self-government and whatever to these people. That's just how you create ultimately blowback. You do it by by this sort of thing. And I don't know if there's other organizations that are doing this. This is just the one that I've heard about, and it's kind of cool. So I'll link to this website. It's uh, ideasbeyondborders.org. Okay, well... I mean, yeah, I'm sorry for these people that are going to be beheaded or however they do it over there. I know that beheadings for this sort of thing are very common in places like Saudi Arabia and Turkey. Seemingly wealthy and first world type places still still have, I mean, you go to jail for four years just for criticizing the president of Turkey. I've talked about that before. That was an article I read a while ago. They've got thousands of people in jail for these four-year sentences for for criticizing or insulting the president of Turkey. It's just insane. I mean, we we really take that for granted over here, right? <laughs> I mean, it was nonstop criticism and and insults against uh, President Trump for the last four years. Rightly so. It's fine, right? If you don't exercise a right, you might lose it. Uh, but what's interesting is these people that take this for granted and exercise it, they then turn around and want to deny it, right? They then, they then want to deny it to other people. They say, kick these people off of Facebook, kick them off of Twitter, kick them off of here, do this, do that, because we don't like their speech. Our speech is okay. We don't like their speech, so they've got to, they've got to go. And it's the hypocrisy, right, that, that's so incredibly annoying and will, will be, for many people, it will be dangerous. So we sit back and we watch the living history unfold and we take care of ourselves and we take care of our own and we do what we can to improve and better our lives because that's, that's our sphere of control. That's what we can do. And then we, you know, we record ourselves ranting and raving about what we can't control <laughs> and we release that to the world and maybe it'll have an effect. All right, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember, don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. And don't ask permission. You want to do it, do it. Have a better day. Please send your comments and questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail.com.
Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EBC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary. Will you do us a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends. We really appreciate it.